Okay, well, nice to see you all. Welcome this morning to the third message in our series called Living the Life of Balance. Um, it seems that today's modern technological society is increasingly unsuccessful in filling with all kinds of distraction. We've heard about climate today. And any of the remaining quiet moments of each day that we might still enjoy, and this is nearly always a reality in our life, uh, than the idea of getting still enough to hear from the Lord. So today the message is quite simple. Uh, it's called moving from clamor to quiet. Moving from clamor to quiet. And it's going to be all about finding times of stillness to experience the beautiful quiet of connection with God, often in places that we don't expect to find his voice. When we choose to do this, we'll not only find this quietness and this connection which we so desperately need, but also the developing of a more regular habit of both talking to and hearing from our Father God. I think the, the trouble for most of us is that the, the sheer pace of life, the full schedules, um, lots of demands that we have put on us or put on ourselves even, distractions, to-do lists, emails, texts, and it goes on. Uh, from our constant connection with media and technology, TVs, all kinds of stuff. We also have opinions, we have judgments, we have expectations that people put on us. Um, and that's all just the clamour from out there. Then there's the, the inner clamour. Don't you, if you're like me, I've got a mind that never seems to stop. I know full well that there can be messages of, of hate, of, of self-judgment, of shame, of anxiety, of depression and fear. We can so easily become overworked, we can become over-busy, over-stimulated, and certainly over-connected. Um, well, I don't know about you, that's exhausted a lot of my problems. Um, what I'm actually saying here is that the... Uh, the that to notice this still, small voice which wants to speak in our hearts, we just have to slow down and put aside some designated time. I want you to listen to this quote. It's talking to our souls from a woman called Evelyn Underhill. She says, at this very moment, your thoughts are buzzing like a swarm of bees. The reduction of this fevered complex to a unity appears to be a task beyond all human power. Yet, the situation is not as hopeless for you as it seems. All this is only happening upon the periphery of your mind, where it touches and reacts to the world of appearance. At the center, there is stillness, which even you and me are not able to break. Thank the Lord, eh? 
I, I got this done. I remember last week uh, when uh, Lorraine was here, she was talking about, and I've got exactly the same thing, she was talking about the average person's attention span over the last few years. And I think it's since the worldwide phenomenon of smartphones. Uh, and we're told, um, certainly online, that our attention span is now down to eight seconds. It used to be 12. That was bad enough. Uh, and then, as, uh, as uh, Lorraine said last week, it's, uh, it's about the same, apparently, as a goldfish. Um, I'm not sure I agree quite with that. <laughs> but doctors do say that just literally moving um, from noise to quiet gives us calm. It gives us less anxiety and depression. Um, and that noise and clamor can starve us of wisdom, of perspective, of understanding what's going on around us, of peace, and even of courage. We all need our quiet place. And wherever it is, it's where it's our time. And then we hear from that deep down voice, and it becomes for us. It's when we speak to God and we get an answer back in our own voice, and yet realize and believe that it's from him. It's a connection that we're absolutely made for. And it's the normal language of a close relationship. It's essentially a union between two persons, no different from a dad or a father relating to his kids. It's exactly the same, or a mother, exactly the same. Augustine said, quote here, you have made me for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Right at the beginning of the Bible, we're told that Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in a garden. That's prayer. It's connecting with the Lord. In the Old Testament scriptures, we also see people crying out to God. And in the Bible, these things are called laments. And that's prayer. In the Psalms, others remember David. Others were angry with God. And that's prayer. Others spoke to and listened to God. It's all prayer because... It was all the language of relationship. None of it was complicated because these people understood God as close, as Abba close, adopted as their personal father. But unlike the Pharisees of Jesus' day who spoke complicated prayers to God in public simply to be heard of by others, the purpose of prayer is very simple. It's just a loving union with our Father. It starts with a change inside of us. The more clamor in our life, the more we need to get quiet with God. And this habit of getting quiet with God is how prayer can become a virtue. Instead of retreating, I've done it myself, you're retreating to all kinds of other stuff trying to deal with it ourselves. Prayer becomes a virtue when we develop the habit of it becoming our very first inclination, our first place to go. It's when we realize things are starting to heat up all around us and we need to get quiet before the Lord. 
then it's not just a gift, it becomes a virtue. Let me give you a person, if you like, total uh, panic lesson of how God first alerted me uh, to the necessity of listening to that voice after I believed. Um, we were in a position as a family, we'd sold our main restaurant business, we'd started a small business from our home kitchen extension, supplying cakes to shops, petrol stations, restaurants, and all kinds of stuff. And we'd managed to get quite a sizable contract with a large garden center. I presume it's still there, just off the M5, between Redditch and Droitwich. It was called Webs of Witchbold. Is that, I don't know, still there? Yeah, okay. Well, we delivered a few orders, and the previous one should have lasted them right through the weekend. However, they rang me one Friday evening, apologizing profusely, but saying, look, we've actually sold out, and could we, could we give you a large order to be delivered the following day, Saturday morning by 9 a.m.? And I think, oh, oh, okay, yeah. So I ran out, got more supplies, I worked right through the night, and I'd just about completed the order by 8.30 a.m., which left me half an hour to get there. Now, normally, my wife Peggy was the one who always did deliveries. She drove. I never used to drive. I can drive just about. Uh, but on this occasion, I can't remember why she couldn't, she couldn't do it. And, of course, it's quite a long time ago. There were no sat-navs. Well, possibly, but I'd never heard of them in those days. And I'd less than this half an hour to deliver. Now, I knew the directions part of the way on the main road, because I remember going with Peggy when we introduced ourselves there, uh, but I don't take much notice because she always drove. Um, so I totally panic prayed. I was saying, God, I can't afford to lose this contract. I'm not going to be there on time. I need you to show me the absolute quickest way and just get me there on time. Whoa. Okay. Turn up there. What? Up there? Turn up there. And what happened from there, I was led onto a track, a road, but really a farm track. It was a bit like Devon with these high banked sides. Couldn't see anything. Um, so on I went, which way? Left, okay. Where now? Veer to your right, okay. I was going as fast as I could and beeping half the time because I just couldn't see, you know, it could be a tractor or anything coming. And this went on. Instruction after instruction after instruction. Okay, okay, okay. And then after about 20 minutes, I suddenly saw this, I believe it must be a, a radio mast, massive tall thing like Black Ball Tower. And I knew that was where Witchbold was or thereabouts. Oh, I'm okay now, Lord. I turn left. And off I went about four or 500 yards up to the left. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I've gone the wrong way. Um, okay. Okay, I'll come back again. Got back to where I was, and Father said, turn right, down the road, to your left, on for 200 yards, and it's on your right. Thank you. So, I've lost my place now. Did you get there? I got there. I got there. <laughs> I, I got there just in time. I remember later, my, I took my wife, and she said, only you could find a place like this, a road like this. Nobody else is crazy. She wasn't a believer then. So the outcome, really, of all this was 
trust. It was trust God in, the, in every situation. And some of them are pretty hard. Trust and obey. And from that early personal connection with my father God, he began to show me the necessity of continuing this loving relationship and union with him by actively starting to put aside a period of quiet to allow these sacred times together. Now, we know it's difficult. Sometimes it's not always possible. Our plans, you know, but that's the way it is. I remember Pastor John brought all this out in back in June in one of his messages. I think it was at um, probably the grammar school about Elijah. Uh, um, so about this prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah had an amazing relationship with God. And I think outside of Jesus and Moses, he would, probably no person uh, saw God do more amazing things. He was connected, he heard from God, he spoke to God, but he was a prophet. He had to speak on behalf of God to kings, to rulers, to high-ups, and they didn't want to hear it. So his difficult job was to indicate to the powers of the day that they needed, really, to make certain changes in their lives for the whole of the country. Otherwise, there would be major consequences through which God would get their attention. So Elijah, as a prophet, could get himself into really difficult and sticky situations, bad places. Can we get up the first uh, one, looking at 1 Kings, we did, we've done this before, we've done it with John. It's 1 Kings, it'll come up on the screen, chapter 19, it's verses 7 to 13 when it comes up, and it's uh, the NIV version on the, uh, this particular moment. Okay, the angel of the Lord came back a second, let me just put you into the context. Elijah's done some amazing stuff for the Lord. Uh, Ahab the king has turned against him because of what he's done. Uh, Jezebel is saying she will kill him and he's, flee he's fled into the desert. And it says here, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Can you imagine? Stood there, the mountains just breaking up in front of you. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord had been in these fires in the south of France. They're horrendous. Um, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face 
and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. You see, here Elijah had already got himself to the stage where he's tired, he's angry, and he says, I've had absolutely enough because the Lord's done some amazing things, as I said, but the king still wants to kill him. The clamor, the noise, is all got too much, and he asks God to take his life. God realizes that Elijah doesn't need to be taken out of the situation permanently. So verse 7 tells us he's going on a long journey. What turns out to be a 40-day fast as he walks into the deserts and a cave. God took great care to lead Elijah into the quiet, into the stillness. Got to remember, he's already connected to God, but now verse 11 tells him he's personally going to come by. Now, when Pastor John preached this same message back in July at the grammar school, he cross-referenced here, you might remember it, to a similar situation. It's in Matthew chapter 15, it's verses 24 to 28. And it's where Jesus, when a Gentile woman asked for healing for a daughter for him, the scripture says, answered her not a word. And Pastor John remarked that God's silence is often to draw us closer to him. The invitation comes in the silence when all the clamor has passed by. Do you remember Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice? We learned that God didn't come to Elijah in the noise of the wind, earthquake and fire, but in a gentle whisper. Now, the literal Hebrew translation for gentle whisper is utter silence. Utter silence. Some versions say stillness, meaning silence. I've read one somewhere that says wrapped in silence, which is brilliant. You know, you just know. Elijah knew. He was told, but this is the miracle. There was no noise. It was in silence. He knew. And in this sound of silence, Elijah hears God. In the same way, exactly the same way that you and me will hear God in the slowing down, in the quiet. So learning from Elijah, certain things God only tells us in quiet. After this, Elijah goes back to his job. In other words, the clamor wasn't going to stop, but he needed to move from from it into quiet to hear from the Lord. He went through 40 days of testing, hungry, lonely, distressed, to get into that. 40 days to get into one quiet moment. But it was that one moment that changed him, so it was totally worth it. Why do you think we get all these afflictions? There's a reason. It's the moments that change our lives. These are the catalysts to bring us on track to go forward. Moses three times, and we're told a greater one than he, Jesus, also went through 40 days of testing in the wilderness. And so the song says, brought to mind, we're going to turn our eyes upon Jesus now as the perfect example 
is always the perfect example of someone consistently moving from the clamor to quiet and connecting with his father. Because he knows people, he gets close to them, he speaks to them, he shows them God, the God they're meant for. And so the crowds grew and grew. Can we get the next scripture up? Uh, it's in Luke, it's chapter 5, and it's verse, verses 15 to 16. There we have it. And it says, yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Then it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Here it tells us about the habit of virtue. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The clamor for him was his followers, it was his fans, it was his critics, the demands of his social life, it was his work, his ministry. We've all heard, I think, and I've said it myself, no time to stop, too much to do. Didn't Jesus have a busy life? Of course he did. Yet the scripture tells us he often withdrew. That was so that he could access what his father had to give him. He had to withdraw. He had to disconnect. He had to step back to lonely places where he was alone or where it was quiet or still. Why did he do it? Because prayer is about loving union with God. And he did everything according to the will of his loving father. Next scripture, uh, if we can get that up, is Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 46. Again, about the same thing with Jesus. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go, go, go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now, the context here is that 12 disciples were returning from being... Well done. <laughs> Little Rubin's chucking his, uh, his cup in the right box. Well, I think it's the right box. Um, yeah, the context here is that the 12 disciples were returning from being sent out by Jesus to preach that people should repent and they'd also driven out many demons, they'd anointed sick people with oil and healed them and he now told them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. But the crowd follows them, giving them no chance whatsoever to rest. So Jesus has compassion, he teaches the crowd and this is the point where he's just fed the 5,000 men and all the extras of women and children with the five loaves and two fishes. And so now, above all else, he needs again his time alone with his father. Nobody else on the earth can give him what his father can give him. Next scripture, uh, again, Mark 1, 35 to 37. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, Hey, everyone's looking for you. 
In other words, what are you doing? Well, here the evening before, the crowds find where he is, and they start arriving well into the night for all kinds of healings. And yet, the following morning, even before daybreak, after a late night, Jesus must be expending so much effort to get up. But he got up to connect with his Father's presence. I don't know about you, but I'd still be in bed. So what's the equivalent for us today? Well, for most of us, it's that it's, it's hard for us to connect to God, to be quiet with him, if we're still connected to all the media devices and all the stuff around us. Um, I know it can be, I know for myself, it can be almost impossible to disconnect. I'm looking on the computer and something comes, oh, that looks good. Three hours later, I think, whoa, I've just wasted so much time. Um, but at some point, we have to disconnect because technology, for most of us, can successfully, as I said, fill every kind of our quiet place, our quiet space. It doesn't mean that technology is bad. But if you're like me, we get preoccupied, we get distracted by it, so we can't hear, and that's when it becomes a vice. So let's consider the working out now of the practicalities of what we've looked at so far. We've looked at Elijah and Jesus connected with the Lord, connected with the Lord in quiet places. So we might be thinking, well, yeah, okay, it's about just sitting by myself, perhaps in a darkened room, and yeah, trying to focus. Well, that's a nightmare for a lot of us. And uh, for me, the opposite of a quiet cave like Elijah, creepy crawl, is no way for me. Um, okay, I know that that's where the monastic, Ian knows all about it over there, the monastic community came from, to detach from the noise. And a retreat's good, uh, but not all the time. But there are ways that we can be creative to slow us down sufficiently to hear from God. And you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a noiseless place. It may be at the time when the baby at last is asleep and you're able to ask and then listen to the replies you get as you push the pram with this sleeping baby through town. It can be on a morning jog. It can be in the park, it can be a walk, it can be a seat on a special bench, it can be driving to work, bumper to bumper even. And yet, usually in doing something that you enjoy, you're still able to hear this silent whisper. And that's where that time can become your time. And it's the same for each one of us. Look at this. Look at it this way. In the time of Jesus, in the foreshadows of what we have now, stood the temple of Jerusalem, the highest point of Mount Zion, the center of the world, where God was close to his people. And once a year, the people sang the praises, the songs of, the songs of ascent, as they got up closer to his presence. And yet only the high priest could enter what we call the Holy of Holies the sanctuary, an absolutely remarkable, beautiful place where this one man entered once a year to speak with and hear from God on behalf of the nation of God's people. But this is the wonder and former mystery 
unknown to the Old Testament saints. Jesus says there's a new temple built not with human hands, but built by the Spirit. And it's placed in the sanctuary of our hearts. Yet, so rarely do we think that this temple, that the Lord's given us, is, is so sacred, so special, that it's like the beautiful Holy of Holies, the sanctuary of the former temple. But that's exactly what he gives us. And we have full and we have immediate access because of Jesus. We can be in the sanctuary in exactly the same way with the Lord whenever we need to. Moving from clamor to quiet. But Jesus made one point. Can we get the next scripture up please? It's Matthew 6, just one verse, verse 6. And it says, but when you pray, you will know this, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Now I've got a picture here. Can, can we put that up next? This is a, a picture of a first century house. Oops, is it gone? That was a picture of a first century house. Oh, there we are. It's a cutout, but you can see it's a very poor uh, house of the day of Jesus' time, as it would be. Uh, and the bottom floor, you might be able to see um, on the right, where I think there's a sheep in there, uh, is where they brought the cattle in at night to keep them safe. There's some uh, washing at the left, uh, there's some cooking utensils, etc. And then on the upper, in the upper room, that's where. Do you remember the upper room where the disciples met? It was always on the first floor. So you'll see there, there's a loom in the middle where they worked. This is where they, the people that came to them, where they took visitors in, etc. And then at the right, it's difficult to see, there's a curtain, a doorway there, and that's through to probably the one bedroom that they all had. And they had children, I'll never know, but it, they were all together, but it worked. Uh, so, so, so there we are. And this, this room um, was the place. It was the only private place that in those days they had. And this is the room that Jesus, the closet as he calls it, this is the place that he's talking about. Um, was just one bedroom. Uh, he's not saying that the room is a special place. Um, but it's what this room represents that is special because this room for most people of that day would be the most private place that they could ever find. Yes, some could go outside onto the roof and some prayed there. Uh, so basically it was, this, it was special as the only place where they could hear the Lord. So for us it's not going into a desert or a cave, not having to, uh, to be patient going through the outer courts to get to the sanctuary. It's as simple as finding our quiet place to hear him. And that hearing him is the moving from clamor to quiet into the sacred space that only you will get when you go there. So I'm ending in just a, a minute or two now. Uh, and I want to just give you a fairly old practice. I believe it's possibly from Catholic traditions and Quaker traditions. Um, but it was quite common, I think, in the old days. Uh, and first to quietness and bring us into his presence. We're actually going to listen to his voice. 
It's a process in Latin called Lectio Divina. It simply means divine reading. We're going to meditate now on a passage of scripture. It's the first two verses of Psalm 91. And in my Bible, the heading for that is the safety of abiding in the presence of God. Now, as I read this passage, I don't want you really to look at your Bibles. I don't want to get your devices out or anything. I simply want you to, I'm going to read it through several times. And this is what the Lord will do. I'm going to ask uh, you to ask God for certain things as I read it. This is what the Lord will do. As I read it, he'll speak with his written voice, but he'll also speak with his spirit voice with the written voice to say something that is just for you. And this is the mystery of prayer. I really do believe that God is in this room and he'll give us something specially for each one of us. So I'm asking for quiet now and that you might close your eyes and bow your heads and silently ask the Lord to give you something personally for you. If you'd like to do that now, ask the Lord to give you something from this reading personally for you. Lord, we're listening. I ask that you speak to us. And this is the introduction to Psalm 91. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, before I read this passage again, I'd like you to ask the Lord to give you one word or phrase that's just for you. Ask him now to give you one word or phrase. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, before I read again, I'm asking you to ask the Lord to give you a feeling or an emotion to go with that word or phrase he's given to you. Because it's not only the God of your head, it's the God of your heart. So ask now before I read again the same passage for a feeling or an emotion. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I believe the Lord is speaking in this room. And lastly, I want you to ask the Lord to give you a response, an action that can go with this. Because, you know, any time the Lord shows up 
and we have an encounter with him, we are left different. So I don't know, perhaps he's going to ask you to wait or to move or to make a change. But ask now, before I read, ask the Lord for a response. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Heavenly Father, prayer is a mystery. We don't fully understand. We don't need to. We're just thankful and grateful for the enjoyment of it. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for being present in this room. Father, thank you for blessing us here this moment, this morning. For those who had an encounter with you or just sensed your presence or heard your voice. I ask you to seal that encounter and that we'll remember years from now that we have met with the Lord. Protect us from doubt. Thank you for moving this morning. There is none like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.